The Doctor Is In is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. You want the good news, you want the bad news. I don't like either one of those options. Your words are super wise, man. You are a prophet. You deserve a prophet. You do whatever you want. Who am I to tell you what to do? But you're a psychologist. Well, I know less than you do. You're making me a better parent and a better wife, and thank God you're on the radio. What planet are you on? I don't buy any of that stuff. You know, I was looking for a deeper answer. What are you talking about? You make my afternoon really fun. Enjoy ya. You're about the most exciting thing I have right now. Now, from the studios of Living Bread Radio Network in Canton, Ohio, the hometown of Mother Angelica, here's Dr. Ray. Good to be with you, Dr. Ray Garendi. Yes, I've had anxiety in my young childhood. Um, when I was born, I, I was pretty traumatized. Yeah, you know, they, they've had those theories about the birth trauma. That was me. I was, I was so shook. I didn't talk for close to a year and a half, two years after birth. Nice to have you with me. This is The Doctor Is In, the Variant E Person Monday, where I get a chance to go back through the missives. Uh, okay, not missives. Ms. Ives, that I received from you, also from the TV show Living Right with Dr. Ray, and I see what we can do to give some thoughts, sometimes line by line. I don't like to read the whole thing and then say, okay, here's a thought. I like to offer conclusions, contributions, something in between the lines. Good good therapist knows how to listen in between the lines of what a client tells them. Well, same thing with e-persons. I like to read between the lines and see what the person might be saying further than is written down. We shall get to that. Somewhat recently, I had the chance to uh, do a talk in New Hampshire. And after that, went over to Rhode Island, my wife and I. Spend a few days with my son and his wife and the two grandchildren. God willing, the third. She's pregnant with a little baby boy. Now, I don't want to be your basic indulgent grandpa. Don't want to do that. And they're trying to raise good kids. I don't want to complicate the thing. So what I did, and I, I stuck to it, I told my little granddaughter, I said, no, 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 uh-uh. You finish that pint of ice cream before I give you four more cookies. Well, that's pretty much that's my standards. And then the other thing I do is their bedtime's right around quarter to seven, seven o'clock, somewhere in there. So just about six thirty, I crank them up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do the spider, and then they have to spray the spider, and I do the sliding board where they have to slide down my outstretched legs, and then I then I do the throw them in the trash where I throw them onto the couch and. I do all that in a concentrated 15 minutes. So it just takes the kids in a tight spiral upward. And then I sit back and I watch them put the children to bed. 
Oh, I'm not that bad. All right. It has crossed my mind, though. Normally, a basic rule of radio is you, you don't read. You don't do that. Uh, reading loses an awful lot of inflection. It loses a lot of spontaneity. So every once in a great while, I come across something that I want to read. And I'll read it in such a way that I hope it will appear spontaneous. It certainly is a very interesting perspective. It's a story, a short story, by the Christian writer Max Lucado. Once upon a time, there was an old woodcutter who lived in a tiny village. Although poor, he was envied by all because he owned a beautiful white horse. Even the king coveted his horse. A horse like this had never been seen before. Such was its splendor, its majesty, its strength. People offered fabulous prices, but the old woodcutter always refused. This horse is not a horse to me, he's a friend. How could anyone sell a friend? The man was poor. And his friends all urged him to sell, but he never sold the horse. One morning, the woodcutter found his horse was not in the stable. All the village scolded him. You foolish man, you should have sold your horse. You could have gotten whatever price you wanted. No price would have been too high. Now the horse is gone. All you can do is cry. The old man responded, no. You go too far. Who knows if my loss of the horse is a blessing or a curse? Only God knows. No one is wise enough to know how this will turn out. Only God knows. So just bless his name and go on with your life. The people of the village laughed. They thought the old woodcutter was foolish. If he wasn't, he would have sold the horse, lived the rest of his life off the money. After about 15 days, the horse returned. He hadn't been stolen. He'd run away into the forest. And when he returned, he had brought a dozen wild horses with him. Once again, the village people gathered around the woodcutter and said, Oh man, you were right. We were wrong. What we thought was a curse was actually a blessing. Please forgive us. You should be rejoicing. The old man replied, once again, you go too far. Say only that the horse is back and that he has brought 12 others with him. Who knows if this is a blessing or a curse? Only God knows. No one is wise enough to know how this will all turn out. Only God knows. Just bless his name and go on with your life. The people didn't say anything, but deep down they knew the old woodcutter was wrong. Twelve wild horses had returned with one horse. They knew this was a blessing. With a little work, those animals could be broken and trained and sold for much money. The old woodcutter had a son. An only son. 
The young man soon began to break the wild horses. After a few days, he fell from one of the horses, broke both legs. Once again, the villagers gathered around the old wood collier and said, You were right and we were wrong. What we thought was a blessing was actually a curse. Please forgive us. You would be right to weep. Your only son has broken his legs. And now in your old age, you have no one to help, help you. You are now poorer than ever. The old man replied, Once again, you go too far. Say only that my son broke his legs. Who knows if this is a blessing or a curse? Only God knows. No one is wise enough to know how this will all turn out. Only God knows. Just bless his name and go on with your life. It so happened that a few weeks later, the country engaged in a war against a neighboring country. All the young men of the village were required to join the army. Only the son of the old woodcutter was exempted from military service because he was injured. Once again, the people of the village gathered around the old man crying and screaming because their sons had been sent to war. You were right, old man, they wept. This proves your son's accident was a blessing. His legs may be broken, but at least he's with you. Our sons are gone. One last time, the old woodcutter replied, Once again, you go too far. Say only that your sons had to go to war while mine did not. Who knows if this is a blessing or a curse? Only God knows. No one is wise enough to know how this will all turn out. Only God knows. Just bless his name and go on with your life. I wonder how often I've done that. Something has happened and I thought, boy, this is great. Thank you, Lord. This is a wonderful thing. Then didn't work out. And that mean the Lord didn't have a hand in it? How often have I thought, oh, man, that that was something I didn't see coming. That's not something I wanted. And then it turned out to be a blessing I didn't see years down the road. I said this once before in an opening monologue. Got a little bit of time now. Drag it over the brake line. I was cruising right along when I was at Case Institute of Technology and Engineering. First semester did pretty well. And second semester was doing pretty well, too. And then in my second what they called departmental exam, we had three of those per class. It was in physics, physics 2. I got a 31. You can't recover from a 31. No chance. My first exam was, I don't know, 80, 90, somewhere in there. So, so really, at the very best, maybe with a perfect score, I might have got a D for the grade, for the course. So I dropped the course. And I ultimately dropped engineering. I remember calling my mother and saying, Mom, 
I'm transferring over to Western Reserve, which was part of the Case Western Reserve University campus. Case Tech was the technology school. Western Reserve was more bachelors of arts, masters of arts. At that time, I thought, oh boy, what do I do now? My academic career just got knocked off the rails. I'm lost. Who knows? So I said, well, okay, I'll, uh, I guess I'll major in psychology and, and hope to go to law school. That's what I'll do. Hope to go to law school. My senior year, I got into a special program which allowed you to pick up your master's degree your senior year. So I figured, okay, I'll get a master's degree in psychology, and then that'll give me a better shot at a decent law school. By the end of my senior year, I was pretty fascinated with this psychology stuff. So I went on to get a Ph.D. In a lot of ways... You could trace where I am now, at least independent of God's guidance, academically anyway, professionally, to that 31 on my Physics 2 departmental exam, which I thought was so awful. All my years of schooling, I had never gotten a grade that low. Ever, 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 ever. I got crushed. And I thought, man. Maybe this technology stuff isn't in my ballpark. It's out of the stadium, actually. But look what it led to, and I never saw it coming. I got to be here. I got to do what I'm doing. Catholic media, EWTN, talking to faith. <laughs> I don't know if that... Uh, Score of 31 got the ball rolling. I don't even have that test anymore. Be interesting to go back and take a look at it and see just how pathetic my performance was. Yeah, like the old woodcutter says. Don't know if it's a blessing or a curse. Just bless God's name and go on with your life. I think there's a lot of lesson to be learned in that one. I'm Dr. Ray. The most original and exclusive Catholic content is on EWTN Radio. I don't like looking back. I prefer to look forward and keep moving forward. There's plenty to cover. I do a lot of research and try to dig out the bits and pieces of a life or of an agenda that people don't want to talk about. The World Over with Raymond Arroyo. Thursday night, 8 Eastern on EWTN Radio and Television. Are you into setting goals for yourself? I'm Chuck Gatica, and this is Journey Strong. Setting realistic goals is a practice we can all utilize. SMART, S-M-A-R-T, is an acronym that can help us keep our goals real. S is for specific. Narrow down your goals and make a deadline. M is for measurable. We live in a world that tracks numbers and data. Concrete numbers can help us track progress. A is for attainable. Sometimes we think too big or bite off more than we can chew. Be patient, Scripture tells us. Rome wasn't built in a day. The R is for relevant. Relevant goals can be determined through our own values. Stay dedicated to how God wired you and what you stand for. Finally, T. This is time-bound. Write down your timelines and deadlines to keep you on track and honest. Without these, it's hard to maintain success. Check out the Journey Strong tab for more at the homepage of AveMariaRadio.net.
Hi, I'm Al Cresta. Our generation is the first in human history to widely reject that life has any overarching purpose. Morality is considered relative, and we're even uncertain about what it means to be a man or a woman. Catholics at this time need to be awake, not woke. Sit down with Renewal Ministries' Peter Herbeck and I for an extended conversation with Noel Maring, author of Awake, Not Woke. It's available on the Renewal Ministries' YouTube page or in the slider at AveMariaRadio.net. That sound like something out of Clint Eastwood Spaghetti Western. I got this from the New Oxford Review. Uh, supposedly said by a gentleman named Michael, and I'm going to be Italian, so I'm going to pronounce it Licioni. CC is ch. He said this. Now you're going to have to follow this closely, and I'll read it a second time. Life is hard, then you die. Then it gets harder still, unless you died before you died. You got that? Mixing up the meaning of dying here, our Lord saying, he who forfeits his life will save it. He who attempts to save his life will lose it. You read it again. Life is hard, then you die. Then it gets harder still, unless you died before you died. Boy, that's one of those ones that just resonate with you. I'm writing in regards to my six-year-old daughter. Within the past week or so, she's developed a very strong separation anxiety. Okay, let me I'll stop right there as I as I typically do as I'm moving through any person. Um, we can call it that. It definitely makes it sound a little more psychologically complicated and intricate because we don't really know where this is coming from, so we figure it's something within her psyche that is percolating. She's developed a very strong separation anxiety coupled with a fear of throwing up. Now, a fear, has she thrown up? Or does she just get herself so distressed that she feels like it? Nothing has changed in our day-to-day lives, diets, habits, other than Lent. We're a Catholic family with sick children who are homeschooled. We gave up the normal stuff for Lent. Sweets, TV. None of her episodes, he puts that in quote, and he says, for lack of a better word, are triggered by us as parents saying no to anything we've given up. Now, what they're saying is the limits they put on her don't trigger these episodes. Okay, this is not a quote-unquote behavioral eruption because I'm not getting what I want. The triggers seems to be when she's not physically touching my wife or myself Literally right by one of us at all times. Let me read another sentence or two before I jump in because there's more after that. If my wife disappears to take a shower, for instance, 
my daughter completely melts down, running, screaming, all through the house until she finds her again. Here's a key line by Dad. I've been praying a couple prayers from Father Ripperberger's deliverance prayers for the laity, but they don't seem to be helping. All right, so now this indicates Dad is wondering, is there some kind of spiritual oppression taking place? All right, let me summarize a few key points from this first paragraph. I've seen little girls do this. I've seen them do that roughly at this age, four, five, six, seven, where in their minds somehow they develop a newfound insecurity regarding usually mom, but in this case it sounds like both mom and dad, that I got to know where they are. I can't be in a room without them. Wherever they go, I got to go. If we're sitting somewhere, I have to sit right next to them. Now, typically, the parents are at a loss to explain this. It's come out of nowhere. This seemed like a pretty well-adjusted little kid. What's percolating? What is happening that we don't know about? One of the advantages of being a long-time shrink is you see stuff. And you see it resolve itself, too. I've seen this. Usually doesn't portend anything serious. It seems to be a stage quirk, something that the child develops in their own little head. You, you You can't figure out what goes on in a little kid's head. It jumps in there and does a couple of backflips twists around, comes out as behavior, and you're thinking to yourself, what's that one all about? And then, in your loss to explain it, you're not sure how to handle it. What do we do here? I mean, I, okay, I, I can understand, I can understand a fit, an anger. I got that. But I, 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 I've never seen something like this. I mean, this Earl insecurity here. I don't, I don't know. This is psychological look, and I'm really not sure what to do with this. Father, we're in my office. I say, is your little girl kind of soft-hearted, or is she kind of sensitive, or easily upset? And in most cases, they say yes. Yeah, her temperament. This is not a kid who charges face first into life. Her temperament is prone to this kind of quirky bouts of insecurity. Part of the reason why I suspect that the parents are unsure is because they're looking at some kind of spiritual involvement, that that somehow, someway, there's an oppression going on here. Well, they've never seen it. I've seen it. And every time I've seen it, it's not spiritual oppression. It's, It's the kid. And it can go away. Now, many people would say, Dr. Ray, obviously, we got to get to the root of the child's insecurity. We got to figure out why. Why would you be so insecure? Now, keep in mind, 
according to what dad's saying, these are loving parents, very involved in their children's lives. They homeschool. They practice the faith. So taken at face value, there is nothing here that you would point to to say the environment is causing this. No, it's the internal environment of the child. Somehow, some way, she's just decided, I want to be my mom, and if I can't be my mom or my dad, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to freak out. Freak out does not mean pathology. It does not mean there's something emotionally wrong with the child. Now, I'm going to go a little further on this because there's a lot to be said about this, especially the part about, well, well maybe there's spiritual oppression. Dr. Ray. Sixty seconds with Father Mitch Pacwa. Within the people of life and the people for life, that's who we are, the people of life and the people for life, part of our self-identity. The family has a decisive responsibility. This responsibility flows from its very nature as a community of life and love, founded upon marriage and from its mission to guard, reveal, and communicate love. The family and marriage has a mission to guard love, to protect it from false forms of love, from false uses of people, using people and abusing them. It also is to reveal love and communicate love. This is part of the family's and marriage's purpose. You reveal love to the world. You know, people say, oh, marriage is just a piece of paper. That's baloney. This is you saying to the public, I'm loving my wife and my husband and my children till death do us part. The people you know and trust are on EWTN. Catholic Connection with Teresa Tomio. Americans are curious about the religious devotion of others and are willing to discuss the topic, but most say they rarely have conversations about faith with their Christian friends. A study by LifeWay Research finding Americans are widely receptive to spiritual conversations in a variety of settings. Now, perhaps more than ever, people are open to conversions about faith, yet few Christians actually, Christians, actually take the opportunity to engage in personal evangelism. The reason conversations are not happening about the Christian faith is that Christians are not bringing it up. And I think this is key. Now, this person is not saying we shouldn't be concerned about religious liberty in the sense of, yes, there is great persecution out there. But at the end of the day, it is about the fact that we're not doing enough talking about Jesus. Catholic Connections, Teresa Tomio. Weekdays, 9 a.m. Eastern, on EWTN Radio. Thank you for joining me. It's Dr. Ray Grandy. Program uh, Doctor's In. Very into the program. Eat Person Monday. Okay, I spent a lot of time with with the background of an e-person, I'll just quickly summarize it. Six-year-old daughter, out of nowhere, in a very faith-filled Catholic homeschooling family, started to become clingy, very clingy. Uh, if she's not touching wife or dad, she has to be right next to us at all times. If wife goes, takes a shower, daughter completely melts down, screaming, running through the house. Parents are confused. They don't know what's going on. And dad even is saying prayers from Father Ripperberger's deliverance prayers for the laity. But then he says, but they don't seem to be helping. So that's an indication of how confused they are. 
Now, summarize some of the points I made. One, I've seen a lot of this, and typically it's little girls, and typically it manifests itself in some kind of, I got to be around mom, I got to be around dad, mostly it's mom. Or if I'm not, I look like I'm all shook up. And the parents are bamboozled. They don't know what's going on. They're befuddled, flummoxed. What's happening here? I mean, I can understand it if she's throwing temper eruptions. That's kind of kidhood. But but this kind of thing, what is this all about? All right. He goes on. I have to admit. Well, he doesn't have to admit, but he agreed to admit, I guess. Both my wife and I are short on patience, which doesn't help. Well, I don't know what he means by short on patience. I mean, he probably means they get frustrated. Um. And if he's saying that, well, we need to be more patient about this and reassure her and make her feel loved and accepted, which I got to believe some of you listening to this are going to say, that's right, Dr. Ray. That little girl is obviously insecure and she needs to know her parents are always there. Okay, that's fine. But here's the problem. There comes a point where you're feeding into it. You're not helping it. She's six years old. She's not going to reason her way out of this. Here he goes. He says, we've tried the calm, caring approach, the firm but fair approach, and the I've lost all my patience approach. Nothing seems to make any difference whatsoever. And the reason for that is because right now the little girl has convinced herself that it's intolerable if mom is out of sight. That in fact, in her little six-year-old mind, this is not something she can deal with. And the only way to stop it is to cling to mom or dad. Ah, he anticipates what I'm going to say. He says, being that she's six and hasn't fully reached the age of reason, uh, I'm going to jump in there. When... People have these kinds of anxiety reactions, whether they're six or whether they're 66. Reason often doesn't budge them. Action does. They have to find out there's nothing to fear if they don't get the particular response that they want. Three of our six children are three years or younger. Goes without saying, Dr. Ray, these children require a great deal of time and attention. (laughs) This is guy talk right here. Shoot it to me straight. Are we terrible parents who don't know how to deal with this? Now, that's two different things here. First of all, it doesn't sound from what you're saying that you're terrible parents at all. It does sound like you don't know how to deal with it. And then here's the $64,000 question. Or is this issue perhaps more complex? We can't for the life of us think of any specific trauma that has occurred in her life to cause this. Well, I can't know that. I can't know if there's... Something that has happened to this little girl at the hands of perhaps someone else. I don't know. The parents are in a position to explore that. But I can say this, that when I see this in a good home 
with a lovingly supervised young child who has not been in situations that are perhaps potentially risky to their well-being, that the problem germinated and grew and percolated and blossomed in the child's head. Something in her little mind is telling her it is completely unacceptable to not be within eyesight and touch sight of mom or dad. That's what she's doing. Now, going back to, I can't know if there's some other event, but if, as a parent, you have eliminated the best of your ability any other thing that could have altered in this little girl's life, and you then decide to operate out of the assumption that this is a an emotional quirk, little emotional storm that's grown up with this little girl, then you're going to have to not permit her to do this. Running through the house screaming, she needs to go sit down and calm herself. Or she can't demand to be by you. You have to say, no, you cannot be. Now you either go play or I'm going to sit you on the steps. In other words, what you're doing is you're going to show her that it is perfectly comforting to not be within two feet of mom and dad at all times. That's what you're going to do. Now, some might say, but Dr. Ray, that just it just seems so insensitive to the child's need. Well then, uh, continue to do what you're doing, and I guarantee you it's going to happen. You're going to get even more frustrated. You're going to get angry. You're going to get upset. You're probably going to try counseling, which wouldn't really work well with this, my experience. Or you'll seek some kind of intervention somehow, and Dad kind of even touched upon his desperateness in deliverance prayers the odds of this little girl this little girl being affected by the spiritual domain is minuscule are minuscule let me draw a parallel oh gosh i'm gonna run out of time again all right given that i have 36 seconds left i will draw the parallel on the other side of this hard break and the parallel relates to us grown-ups. So this isn't something where you say, yeah, I don't got a six-year-old. I don't I don't have a six-year-old. Sorry, being a little too colloquial there. This isn't relevant to me. Well, the part that I'm going to say next is relevant to you. Because there is a parallel between the way to most often deal with this kind of anxiety, if you will, in a child and similar manifestations of anxiety in a grown-up. You're not fit yet. Not fit. I'm the doctor. No, doctor. I'm the doctor, and I say that you're not fit. You may be a doctor, but I'm the doctor. The definite article, you might say.
Is it impossible to live Jesus Christ's command that the marriage bond be indissoluble? No, says the Catholic Catechism. The Lord has not placed too heavy a burden on the shoulders of a married couple. By coming to restore the order of creation disturbed by sin, Christ himself gives the strength and grace to live marriage in the new dimension of the reign of God. By following Christ, renouncing themselves, and taking up their crosses, spouses will be able to receive the original meaning of marriage and live it with the help of Christ. St. Paul, in a letter to the Ephesians, emphasizes this when he admonishes men to love their wives as Christ loved the church. For this reason, Paul says, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one. This is Peggy Stanton, and this has been the Order of Malta's Minute with the Catechism. The Catechism of the Catholic Church on Animals, paragraph 2417. God entrusted animals to the stewardship of those whom he created in his own image. It is legitimate to use animals for food and clothing. They may be domesticated to help man in his work. Medical and scientific experimentation on animals is a morally acceptable practice if it remains within reasonable limits and contributes to caring for or saving human lives. It is contrary to human dignity to cause animals to suffer or die needlessly. It is likewise unworthy to spend money on them that should, as a priority, go to the relief of human misery. So the Catechism is quite clear. We have a great duty to exhibit kindness to animals and at the same time understand that animals were created not for their own sake, but for the sake of the human. Cresta in the Afternoon, weekdays at 4 Eastern on EWTN Radio. Very nice to spend time with you. I had promised to draw a parallel between this little six-year-old's anxious clinging to her mother, to an extreme degree, and adults. Assuming that there's nothing physically wrong, there had been no traumatic event after the parents rule these out, which they probably already have anyway then you approach this from the perspective of you don't permit the daughter to follow through on this each and every time. She's not allowed. She can't. She cannot go up and pound on the door to get into the bathroom when mom's taking a shower. She can't. She'll be sat in a chair or she'll be sent to her room or she'll sit at the table. Something. She can't do this. Now, if they say, well, she won't listen, now, now you got a discipline problem. And I'll go too far afield dealing with it to just have several books to talk about discipline defiance. Adults who have similar anxieties, and there's really no limit to the kinds of anxieties that adults can develop about circumstances, about people, about future situations, about an environment in their heads. The vast majority of the time there is there is absolutely no danger whatsoever. There is no threat to the person's well-being 
but their mind convinces their body that there is. Therefore, their body reacts. Body's dumb. Mind's smart. Body does what the mind tells it. The body reacts in fear. The body says, I must avoid that situation. I must leave the situation if I start to feel anxious. That's the only way to feel better. Now, the best way for a person to deal with that kind of anxiety is to be exposed to it, either inch by inch or all the way exposed to it, to see that, indeed, there is no danger. They don't like being in a restaurant. Why? Because two years ago, they had a very scary experience, something caught in their throat, and they had to have someone perform the Heimlich maneuver to pop it out. And now the thought, that, that, that terrifying reaction that they had two years ago, wired into them, and the thought of going to a restaurant, the thought of the same thing happening again, has kept them away from eating out. It's kept them from losing a lot of social time with family, friends, uh, perhaps missing parties, graduations, wedding rehearsals. In the extreme, they just don't want to go anywhere in public where you have to eat. They don't want to be embarrassed again. If, in fact, they could slowly re-enter the eating scene and even though they're anxious to let that anxiety taper and pass they will succeed in rewiring their perception that in fact they will have enough confirmation that all that they feared was going to happen did not happen it's the same thing with this little girl all that she fears in her little mind, and she can't express it, and she can't even tell you what it is, is not going to happen if she's not permitted to follow mom every single place she goes or to intrude when mom is taking care of a two-year-old because they had three kids under three. So they're trying to take care of these little ones, and I can just imagine the six-year-old pushing her way in. Now, people are going to say, Dr. A, you see, you see, you just, you just explained it. She's feeling left out. She's feeling like the parents are devoting too much time with these little kids and, and she, was, she was once important and she's not important anymore. We've got to make her feel important. Okay, you can do that. You can make her feel important. You can make her be a caretaker. You can make her, you can make her in fact, feel a part of it. I'm not sure that'll change it. It might dampen it a little bit. But even if her attitude is, I've been displaced, by these three little ones, even if, is it still permissive to be that demanding of her parents' presence? See, that's the question. You can explain why someone acts a certain way. There can be reasons for it. That doesn't make it good or right. I want to quit smoking. I don't smoke, but I'll use that as an example. Well, why am I smoking? Well, because I get nervous and I get anxious and smoking calms me down. And I started smoking when I was 16 because I wanted to look cool. And so now it's a habit and it's, it's just part of why I smoke. Okay, there's the explanation. 
are you going to quit smoking? You know the explanation now. Well, no, because sometimes the explanation and the fix are two separate things. The explanation for this little girl is, I'm, I'm just, I don't know, I just developed this thing, and I don't really can't put any words to it, but I really get shook up when mom and dad are not around. Okay, that's the explanation. Now what? Parents have said they've been reasoning with her forever. They're looking to find the key that the little girl says, oh, oh, okay. All right, I, I won't be so bothered then if you guys are without me for 12 minutes. No, that's not going to happen. It's already proven itself not going to happen. They're going to have to intervene against her will. And that's the way it is with anxiety in adults, too. If they do these things, much of the time the anxiety is dampened enough that they can, they can resume a normal existence. They don't have to avoid flying. They don't have to avoid driving on an interstate. They don't have to avoid crowds. They don't have to avoid dogs because they've rewired their brain, which tells them all of the danger you thought was going to occur didn't occur. New wiring, new perception. I'm Dr. Rick. Underwritten in part by the following nonprofit. Do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything, even things you don't believe in? There are options. You can join Solidarity HealthShare, a faith-based health-sharing community. Plus, Solidarity HealthShare can save you money with prices starting as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save. 844-398-9399. That's 844-398-9399. As a Catholic mom, I know that parenting can be hard, frustrating, and lonely. But it doesn't have to be that way anymore. I'm Lisa Popcheck from More to Life, inviting you to become a premium member of Catholic Home. That's CatholicHOM.com. It's an online community dedicated to supporting Catholic parents like you. At Catholic Home, you can chat with our team of family life coaches every day, get expert help with discipline issues, self-care, creating a stronger marriage, living your faith at home, or just coping with the stress of being a Catholic parent in today's world. In addition to personalized expert support, you'll get access to tons of creative resources, entertaining videos that teach your kids how to get along and love the Lord downloadable activities, monthly live parenting Q&As, and a supportive community and tons of other benefits, like my Momfidence podcast. Go to CatholicHOM.com today and become a premium member of the Catholic Home Community. Again, that's CatholicHOM.com. I can't wait to see you there. Would you get on a plane that doesn't have a pilot? Investing in passive index mutual funds may present the same issue. The Ave Maria mutual funds are actively managed by seasoned investment professionals to help you meet your investment goals in a morally responsible way. Ave Maria funds are managed to conform to pro-life and pro-family values. Long-term investors could invest in the no-load Ave Maria mutual fund. You can learn more about the Ave Maria mutual funds at 866-AVE-MARIA or visit AveMariaFunds.com. Gallagher opened the morning newspaper and he was dumbfounded to read in the obituary that he had died. 
quickly phoned his best friend, Finney. Did you see the paper? Asked Gounder. They say I died. Yes. I saw it. Where are you calling from? <laughs> Dr. Ray here. Thank you for joining me. Last e-person of the day. Interesting one. Dr. Ray, your broadcast recently was a repeat of an earlier show. You had two callers who spoke of a female caller from the previous show. They mentioned how touched they were, and you even mentioned that you had teared up. It's true, I did. The last time I teared up was, uh, I think it was when the Browns called a draw play on 3rd and 12 in the playoffs. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. <clears throat> I went back into the archives, and I listened to that show from January 31st, 2023. Your manologue for that show was about your puzzlement that most people don't really think about death anymore. I remember that. I was talking about that. I said, uh, people ask me what most puzzles you as a psychologist. And I said, it's the fact that people who are clearly moving toward the end of life, 80, 85, 90, 95, still don't think about the ultimate question. Is there a God? How do I believe? What does God want? I said, it just, it just puzzles me no end because you'd think even in self-interest they would look into this. The last caller from that particular show was a 37-year-old female from northern Texas who had lost her husband to a heart attack on December 23rd. I see. So the call, the call was January 31st. So it's five weeks later after her husband had passed. I was nearly bawling like a baby as I was listening to her recount the day her husband died and her obvious deep love for him. She sounded like such a sweet, nice person who was so in love. The pain she was feeling had to be unbearable. She said they'd been together every day for 14 years and that she buried him on their eighth wedding anniversary at the same time they were married. Dr. Ray, I wonder, are there certain calls that you would never forget? If so, would this rank among, among those? Your analog that day about death, her calling in, your chance to talk with her probably couldn't have happened at a better time for her. Divine providence? Hmm. Yeah, to answer the question, yes, I, I do get calls that, that, that hit me emotionally harder than other calls. Every, every call is important because it matters to the people who call had a 22-year-old woman call me. This was many years ago. She told me that her mother was raped and she was the baby from that rape. 
every single person in her mother's life abort 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 and furthermore there were those who i'm sure thought the mother was an idiot a moron immoral even for bringing this baby to term the girl said i'm 22 now i cannot tell you how much i love my mother for giving me birth i'm alive i have a good life i have a loving mother she went against her whole world whole world to give birth if you look at the stats i think something like i think it's it's under i i somebody's gonna have to correct me on the percentage here but it's got to be under 10 percent of the american public thinks that a baby born out of rape or incest or conceived out of rape or incest should not be aborted it's a very small percentage very small percentage so apparently it stops being a baby depending upon its circumstances. Had another call much more recently. A young girl, probably in her 30s, absolute agony because she had had three abortions. Two of which she didn't even really understand what was going on. She didn't know. She wasn't Catholic at the time. And all she knew was, yeah, okay, this is what you do. It's a standard procedure. And the third time she knew and she tried to she tried to leave, and they wouldn't let her. She was strapped down. They wouldn't let her. And it just tormented her. Endlessly tormented her that she had done this. We got a chance to talk. Got a chance to talk about responsibility and what she knew at the time. How she didn't know it was really wrong. Even the third time when she, when she knew something was terribly amiss. And she, and she fought it even. She resisted it. And then they wouldn't let her. Surprise, surprise, huh? And I, I, I say a little prayer because, you know, you, you want to say something. Obviously, you can't do a five-session therapy approach. But you want to say something that at least reverberates for the person and gets them to think in a different direction so that they can build upon a thought or two that you gave them about the situation. And she was crying pretty hard during the call. There's no question. She was crying hard. So we sometimes get those very heavy emotional calls. And uh, I guess I'm privileged to be at the spot when it happens. Thank you for joining me here on The Doctor is In. I'm Dr. Ray Garindi. I thank Andrew Kruchek for all he does over there in Ave and EWTN for all they've done for me for these many, many years. Walk with God. The eternal walk. Never-ending walk. For information on Dr. Ray's presentations, books, and CDs, visit DRA.com and follow him on Facebook. The Doctor is In is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.